You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. There is a perception among some healthcare providers that symptom relief in hospice, especially the use of opioids and sedatives, could cause patients to die sooner than they would otherwise. A study published in the March 2007 issue of the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management shows just the opposite. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is the lead researcher for the study, Dr. Stephen R. Connor, the Vice President for Research at the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Dr. Connor, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Susan. It's good to be here. Where does the myth stem from that hospice care hastens death? Well, you pointed out a couple of important aspects, including the fact that opioids and other um, psychoactive medications are used pretty commonly in hospice care. I think uh, the interesting thing is that our experience as hospice clinicians has demonstrated the opposite to us, which is that many of the t- many of the patients we see seem to actually improve after they get into hospice care and live a bit longer. Uh, but I, I think it's this association with dying that hospice has always had. And to some extent, when physicians refer a patient to hospice, many times they are seen less often in the clinic because hospice is caring for the patient and really being the eyes and ears for the physician. So uh, many times physicians refer someone to hospice and then they don't hear a lot and then the patient dies. Part of the problem is skill at prognostication has varies considerably. And if anything, there's a an, there's an tendency for physicians to overestimate prognosis. Tell us about this study. Again, we have had for many years this clinical observation that not all patients, but many patients in hospice seem to improve after they get on service. And some get to the point where they are so much better that they end up being discharged from hospice sometimes. But this clinical observation was tested. We tried actually first to do um, a study where we were looking at the costs of care for different disease cohorts. And we, just, we noticed that uh, one of the findings in that study was that for all the cohorts, almost every one of the cohorts, the population that ended up in hospice care ended up living longer. One of the things about this research that's difficult, Susan, is that we never know unless we randomize patients. Uh, we're not, we can't be very certain that there wasn't something different about the population that accounted for the outcome. So we use a lot of different uh, techniques to try to overcome what we, this what we call selection bias. And in this case, what we did, when you, when you take a population of people who die and you sort of look backwards, you, you have a lot of problem with that sort of bias. So what we did was we, we did kind of the opposite, and we went upstream and found populations of patients that were all pretty homogenous uh, from a clinical standpoint. They met certain criteria to be gathered up in the cohort. Uh, we used data from CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, 5% sample that's a sample of Medicare patients that is statistically representative of the whole population for the period of, uh, in the years 1998 to 2002. And we looked to gather up all these patients. We had about almost 4,500 patients in the study that met the criteria for inclusion. But they were people like a patient who has congestive heart failure who is hospitalized for CHF and then um, is intubated or undergoes invasive monitoring. These are symptoms for instance, with cancer patients where they're switching chemotherapeutic agents within three months, you know, they go to a different agent, meaning that the chemotherapy that they were initially started on wasn't working. 
these are all indicative of advanced illness in, in the populations that we studied. We looked at all the different you know demographic factors and basically found that patients who were very you know similar in terms of age, sex, race, and disease, as a whole, the group lived about a month longer that were in hospice care. And what diseases did you zero in on? Any particular ones? We were looking for for diagnoses that had you know relatively significant populations within the, where we could see these uh, indicative events occurring. So we looked at congestive heart failure. We looked at cancer of the lung. And by the way, those two diagnoses are huge in the Medicare population. We looked at cancer of the breast, cancer of the colon, and prostate cancer, those six cohorts. And what did you find contributed to a longer life among the patients who chose hospice? Well, you know, we can't really say from the data that we collected in the study why these patients seem to live longer, a little bit longer. And again, it was certain patients, uh, not every patient. You know, I think probably mostly based on our clinical experience and just some, you know, face uh, validity. We know that people uh, sometimes that the healthcare system can be somewhat hazardous. I mean, we've had reports about uh, patients uh, in the healthcare system dying from, you know, various kinds of events occurring. So you're, you know, in some ways just not being in the hospital as much and avoiding some of the hazards of the healthcare system is is perhaps a factor. We also know that for some patients who are who have very low performance status and um, are really sick, that sometimes medication can be can be harmful, can actually hasten death. And we see that sometimes in uh, some of the cancer treatments where you know you're taking a risk taking the treatment um, when your system is really suppressed. We also know that hospice patients, because of the care that's provided by hospice, get pretty close monitoring. They get their medications. Uh, Some patients have trouble getting medications, so we make all hospice patients get the medications that that hospice covers. And we check them for compliance, so we're sure they're taking their medicines. We're providing them with their, you know, pretty constant attention to their emotional well-being and physical health and and giving them a lot of psychosocial support. The the notion that psychosocial support may be a factor in improving longevity is still a bit controversial. But we know that patients hopefully feel less of a burden when they're in hospice care to their families and caregivers. And that, you know, if you're kind of on the edge and, you know, if somebody's giving you a bath and they're talking to you and you're getting your medications and you're thinking about your life and maybe, you know, wanting to reach closure with some of your family uh you might stick around just a little longer. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Stephen Connor, discussing a study published in the March 2007 issue of the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management, reporting that hospice care may actually prolong the lives of some terminally ill patients. Did you do a cost comparison? Well, I mentioned earlier that we did a cost comparison in the first study we published back in September of 2004, which uh, then led to this study. That cost study was was uh, looking at these, again, these different cohorts of hospice patients by diagnosis. Um, the whole issue about cost and cost effectiveness in hospice is still uh, difficult for the reasons I mentioned earlier that, you know, we, we can't randomize hospice patients in these settings. So, we're not sure if there may be something different about the hospice population. We've seen a number of studies over the years that have have demonstrated that hospice saves money, particularly for patients with cancer diagnoses. And in our study, we found that same finding that, that there was, a, in spite of the fact that some of the patients lived a bit longer, 
that we did see uh, some modest cost savings. Of the original 16 cohorts we looked at, there were only two that were more expensive for hospice. By the way, I might mention that that survival benefit didn't apply to patients with prostate cancer and breast cancer, both of which are hormonally mediated uh, cancers you oftentimes. Um, We did not see a survival advantage in those diagnoses, but we did see strong survival advantages in the others. And what do you attribute that to? Cancers that are hormonally mediated, we just see a different sort of uh, trajectory of care. It's a much longer course of illness and didn't seem to have the same effect as with lung cancer and CHF and pancreatic cancer, colon cancer. And can you quantify the costs associated with end-of-life care, for example, spent on the last year of life, last 30 days of life? All the studies that have been done on the cost of care at the end of life show that this is mainly in the Medicare population, that the last year of life on average typically runs around $30,000. That's escalated over time, but that's about where the cost runs on average. It varies from diagnosis to diagnosis quite a bit. And of course, certain patients could be hundreds of thousands and others you know, never actually even show up much in the healthcare system at all. But about 40% of that cost is in the last month of life pretty consistently. Hospice care, on average, cost is about $130 a day. That includes everything that hospices provide. And how would you compare that to an average stay in an ICU bed for a day? Some of this data is, turns out to be interesting, difficult to obtain, but ICU costs run in the neighborhood of a couple thousand dollars a day. And quite a few people die in ICUs. In hospice care, people actually mostly die in, their, in, the, in the place they call home. You've worked continuously in the hospice movement since 1976 in a variety of different roles. When you encounter resistance to hospice from physicians, what are the reasons and how do you respond? The kind of resistance that physicians express toward hospice comes from, in my experience, the feeling that you know physicians believe, and I, and I think they really want to do the best for their patients, uh, that they're actually meeting all the patient's needs, and so why should, you know, you need an organized program like hospice to come in? And uh, in, in a way, it's kind of an implied criticism that, you know, well, you know, aren't you being everything to the patient and family? And, of course, you know, we know from 30 years of experience that having one clinician meet all the needs of the patient and family is just, you know, it's unrealistic and, and unfair to the physicians um, who um, uh, have so many patients to care for. Uh, the other problem is that, you know, we sometimes hear from physicians that it's difficult to tell, you know, who's going to benefit from a more aggressive treatment approach and, and who, and of course, as we mentioned earlier, there's that tendency toward overestimation of uh, prognosis. A physician colleague of ours, Dr. Nicholas Christakis at Harvard, uh, did a very interesting study uh, basically measuring the, the bias. And surprisingly, the more the physician knew the patient and cared for the patient over a period of time, the more likely they were to overestimate the prognosis because basically they didn't want to see the patient as someone who was dying. And so if they're not seen as dying, then they're not thought to be appropriate for hospice care. And of course, our probably most significant problem in hospice is um, the fact that so many of the patients are with us for too short a period of time. So what's your best advice to physicians regarding those prognostic indicators for hospice? We actually have published some prognostic indicators for hospice. And really, you know, you have to understand, Susan, that making a prognosis is is an art more than a science. But we try to give people are, here are the kind of questions that you should sort of ask as you look at the patient, uh, the kind of things you should consider when you're making a, a, a clinical judgment. 
And one of the things that's been suggested and recommended is that what we call the surprise question, which is rather than saying, you know, or, or is this patient going to die in six months, we ask, would you be surprised if this patient was still alive in six months or a year? And that reframes the question in a way that makes it easier for people sometimes to answer. It makes it easier to say, well, it wouldn't surprise, it wouldn't surprise me if they were gone, so therefore, mm-hmm. you know, we, 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 the criteria for hospice is that the patient be judged by two physicians as having a prognosis of six months or less if the disease runs its normal course. Patients are not required to die within six months, and we have about 10% of patients who are discharged alive from hospice care. Dr. Connor, thank you for joining us today. You're most welcome, Susan. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.